Thanks for checking out this message from Coastal Community Church. We hope it's helpful and encouraging. Good morning and welcome to Coastal. So glad you're here today. Like Pastor Chris said, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm one of the pastors uh, on staff here. And uh, we are continuing on in week five of summer reading. Um, And our book today is another uh, great one. Our book is Uncommon Ground uh, by Timothy Keller and John Inazu. Um, If you haven't gotten a chance to check it out, uh, I greatly encourage you. I know they talked about it a little bit in the pre-show, but uh, it's a different kind of book. It's, it's kind of interesting to where, you know, it's not a normal uh, like Christian life, discipleship, read-through, life point kind of book. You know, it, it's cool in that it's basically a collection of thoughts and uh, like stories and perspectives of 12 different people. So basically like each chapter is almost a different person. They're all trying to answer the same question, but they're all doing it through their own uh, lenses, like basically their own, you know, like unique circumstances. You know, whether that's uh, financial, political, racial, you know, geographical, cultural, whatever it is. And so they're all trying to answer uh, this one question. And that question is, uh, how can Christians engage with those around us while both respecting uh, those whose beliefs differ from our own, um, as well as maintaining our gospel confidence? Super easy question, Right. No, no, not at all. But again, what's cool is, again, you know, hearing from all these different people with different life circumstances and different perspectives, we're able to see, you know, really like the similarities that, that we have as, as, as humans and where, you know, we kind of connect. And then also um, where our differences are, you know, the differences that divide us and, and, you know, where the good parts of the Christian life are in our current culture. And then also, you know, where the problems are that we need to work together to address. So it's a really cool book. I encourage you to check it out. Uh, But to kind of go along with it, we're going to dive into a passage today um, in Ephesians. Um, So if you have your Bible, Uversion app, you can open up to Ephesians uh, 4. Uh, If you're watching online or want to just follow along with the notes there, you have them as well. Um, But the kind of theme passage uh, that this entire book is based on that we're going to look at this morning is Ephesians um, chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. But to make sure that we uh, you know, have the, the understanding, right, the overall complete context and meaning of it, I want to kind of read a little, a little more. All right, so we're going to start out in um, verse 1, with verse 1 in chapter 4. Um, so this is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. Uh, so we're going to read a little bit, just follow along with me. Starting in verse 1 says, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, being diligent to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. It keeps going and says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive the captives and he gave gifts to people. It says, now this expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself, also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Verse 11, and he gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Until we attain all for the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head that is, Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So that's verses 4 through 16. And we can easily see, you know, if, if you read that, obviously, um, translations, you know, some kind of the, the grammar parts of it don't make too much sense to us. But we can easily see the overriding theme in Paul's letter here is unity. Right? Unity in, in, in the body of Christ. And that's really the purpose of the book. Um, if you've read it or haven't got a chance to yet, check it out. Um, that book, Uncommon Ground. You know, it's how do we put aside our differences to be united in Christ? Right? United in purpose, united in ministry. Right? United, but also uncompromising on the truth of God's word. Because that's where it gets difficult, right? Like, I think we could agree as a whole in the current landscape of, of our world and our culture, you know, as human beings, our existence is, I feel like, more often characterized by our differences than our similarities, Right, where there is disunity as opposed to where there is unity. We've really created almost a, a culture of silos. Right? And, the, and these silos are based on race, they're based on politics, they're based on geographical reasons, gender issues, philosophical you know, beliefs, whatever it is. And I feel like I've never seen it more than right now talking about vaccine or no vaccine. Right? We create silos out of everything. And, and while it may be a meaningful topic, Right? The way that we address each other more often than not is, is full of such hate and such a lack of unity. Right? We even get so petty that we categorize, you know, categorize, isolate, or even hate on people based, on, or based off of choices that really have no meaning whatsoever outside of maybe arguing about it on social media. Right? And, 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 and here's a response I feel like most people give when, when this is brought up, like the fact that we don't actually have to argue about everything. People's response is, you know, it's not my fault, right? I'm, I'm just responding or I'm just stating my beliefs, right? They're the ones that are taking it too far about whatever topic. But here's an idea that's brought up in our book, right? It's that it may not be all of our faults, but it is all of our problems, right? So let's look back at this passage this morning and see how, let's see how we should be acting, right? How we should be acting in unity, right? How we as Christians as believers in Jesus Christ should be treating those whose uh, beliefs, opinions, ideals differ from our own, right? Whether it be choosing, a, I don't know, which college football team to follow or which political party you're a part of, whatever it is, right? So verse one of that passage we just read says, therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, that's right, so one thing you have to understand. When Paul says that he is a prisoner of the Lord, he means it. Right, he is actually in prison writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. And it's cool. He actually mentioned it in chapter 3 before. So in chapter 3 and 4, he mentions how he's a prisoner, basically just reinforcing the significance of what he is writing. Because right, that's why he's in prison, for preaching the gospel. Right, so he's saying this is so important. This idea of unity is so important that I am willing to go to prison to be able to tell you about it. Right, so he's saying in this verse, we have to walk in a manner, live a life keeping with the gospel. The actual verb in the New Testament for walk, it always references like our daily lives. 
like our, our lives every single day. And how this relates to unity is that he begins to lay out some characteristics, right? That when they are present in the lives of believers individually, they cannot help but be displayed there in a group of believers, right? It's pretty cool. And so what are those characteristics? Verse two, he kind of lays them out. He says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. All right, so the first one we see is humility. All right, the first characteristic that promotes, you know, unity is humility. And so humility is basically just us seeing ourselves rightly. Like, I'm not even sure if that's a, a word, but that's kind of like seeing ourselves rightly. You know, most of the time we don't have a problem seeing humility as like a lack of pride, it's kind of how we define, like, you know, a lack of, of self-promotion, an absence of self-promotion. But sometimes we struggle to see it also as, like, not self-condemnation. It's not tearing ourselves down. Right? It's seeing ourselves how we are, where we are, right before the Lord. Right? Humani- our humility is also recognizing, right, that in a world of of, of deep differences about so many different fundamental issues, right? Christians and non-Christians alike, you have to hear this point, they're not always able to prove why they're right or wrong to others. That's a tough one I feel like to, to kind of come to grips with, right? Because, you know, for us, if, if someone has a differing opinion than ours, especially about something that we really care about, you know, we want them to, you know, present their argument in 5,000 different ways, you know, have your 10,000 facts and your 3,000 primary sources, and, you know, they have to be able to disprove your theory completely. Right, this is not always possible, and a big step in establishing unity is realizing that we are humans. That isn't always possible, right? We, we don't understand everything. We aren't perfect, Christians are able to exercise humility in public life because we recognize the limits of our human reason, right? Including our own. And because we know that we have been saved by faith, not our own understanding, right? Not our own goodness, not our own actions. We've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That's where our understanding comes from. And so that's the first characteristic of unity, that humility, the second one we find in this verse uh, is patience. Patience. I know if you, if you look back at the verse, you'll see, you know, kind of skip gentleness. Uh, but really, I believe that it's just, it's kind of a byproduct of accurately living out the rest of the things that Paul talks about. So patience. Right? Patience encourages, you know, careful listening, encourages uh, sympathetic understanding, and, and even thoughtful questions. Right? Patience allows us to recognize that the, uh, the shared experiences, recognize these shared experiences that both draw us closer and sometimes divide us. Right? It allows us to understand these things coming from different people while also displaying love and understanding. Right? It allows us to, to understand people while still extending grace. It also allows us to experience hope in a way that, you know, obviously in this world, may never be possible, right? And we can be patient because of this hope, right? Because this hope, our hope, does not come from conforming other people's experiences and ideals to our own, but from the love of a Savior who's already written the story, he's already showed us the ending, 
right? No matter what happens here, no matter what happens in this world, this is not our home, right? We, no matter, we know that no matter how this world goes, we have the promise of an eternity in heaven with our God. And that's the basis for this patience that Paul's talking about. And then in turn, a culture of unity. It's pretty cool. And so that's the first two things. The last thing that Paul says in verse two, he says, bearing with one another in love. Actually, another word for this is, is tolerance. Right, so we have humility, patience, and tolerance. And I know I could see, I can't see too well here with the lights, but I can see a couple of negative reactions to that word tolerance, right? I feel like when we, you know, we hear the word tolerance, we immediately think that that's going to require some kind of sacrifice on our end, right? It, it, we think that we're going to have to give up some idea or some, or some of our own beliefs in order to be tolerant of someone else's, right? But here's what I want to challenge you with. Like, tolerance is basically just the, like, the practical, the everyday enduring of beliefs and practices that you don't share with somebody else. That's just being tolerant. But the way that I think we can kind of change the, the negative connotation of the word tolerance is by doing one thing. And that's don't focus on ideas, focus on people. I don't see someone as just their beliefs or their ideas, see them as God's children. Right, pursue relationships with God's people over conformity to a set of mutually agreed upon you know, rules and laws. Recognize that there will be disagreements, and that's okay. Right, we can exhibit tolerance because our love of people flows from our love of God, which flows from the gospel and its overriding message of love. And just being real this morning, being honest, you know, we all know there are certain times and there are certain people who it is more easy, uh, you know, to extend grace to and be tolerant of. We all know that's the case in, in our everyday lives. But here's a thought I just wanted to, to challenge you with this morning. You know, I would put it out there that we, have to, we need to understand that in a situation where it is sometimes difficult to extend tolerance, not all the time, there are definitely situations, but a lot of the times, in the, in the small things, you know, when it is difficult to extend grace or be tolerant of a person, sometimes it's not their fault, it may be ours. Maybe the way we're coming at it, it may be, you know, our heart, our thoughts. So just a thought to challenge you with, but here's what happens when we see, you know, these, these characteristics. When we see an effort being placed on humility, you know, when we see people trying to be patient, when we see a group of uh, people individuals, you know, trying to be tolerant, there will without a doubt be a natural outflow of unity, right? Of, of you know, of this people whose daily lives, whose, whose walk shows an, an eagerness to develop and maintain unity through the Holy Spirit, there will naturally be that unity. Let me put it to you like this, right? People, Jesus' followers who have truly accepted Christ as their savior, who strive to, to emulate God's love, who are in the process of or whose lives have been transformed by the Holy Spirit, they will no doubt push for unity. It won't always be easy. There will be times when we fail, but it'll be an overriding theme, you know, basically just flowing from, from your love of God. And again, what's cool is I talked about it earlier, the, the relationship or the cause and effect between 
the individual and the group. Right? How when a person individually adopts these characteristics and then gets together with a group of people who are doing the same thing, they have no choice but to basically show unity. It just comes out naturally because each individual person is trying and then as a group, they're all trying together. And that's what Paul's talking about as he keeps going in verses four and six, or four through six. He says, there's one body and one spirit. Just as you also were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Right, basically what he's saying is the basis, the foundation of our unity as a people, right, as human beings is the truth of the gospel lived out in our daily lives. Right, us coming together to say there is one Savior, Jesus Christ. There's, there's one faith by which, you know, we get access to, to do, you know, by which we are no longer separated from God. We are, we are with him eternally. There is one faith, and the acceptance of the sacrifice that Christ made for us on the cross is the cause of that. There is one baptism, right? He says one baptism, one way, one sign, ultimately one mark to let the world know, you know, that we are the church. And he says there is one God and Father, one God who is over all and in all and through all. One God. And all of this together, he says, produces unity. All of this lived out in our lives and, and understood and accepted is our unity. You know, the problem then becomes, though, I was just thinking, this, you know, just thinking about myself at least, I feel like we're not always, most of the time, we're not programmed, naturally programmed for unity. Right? That's not in our our natural instinct is, you know, someone doesn't believe in us and then we sit down and go, oh, what did Paul say? You know, humility, patience, tolerance. No, we go, this guy's an idiot, right? That's not, it's not in our natural instinct to just be that tolerant and patient and, and humble, right? And so our book kind of talks about them. It, it shows three natural responses that a lot of us have um, when we're faced with these disagreements or, or situations. And these are responses that since, you know, we are sinful people, a lot of time we just fall prey to. But the problem is that they ultimately, you know, result in either disunity or unity, you know, through compromise of our gospel principles. And so the book labels them as defensive against, purity from, and relevant to. Right? These are basically postures that we naturally take when presented with a disagreement in regards to our own principles or ideals. And so the goal in discussing them this morning is that we would become, simply become aware, right? Maybe we tend to lean into one of these different responses or, you know, so that we can learn ourselves or maybe we're just aware of them so we can help affect change in others, right? But I just want to go over them with you real quick. The first one, defensive against, it's basically a posture of takeover. A lot of us do, and just to put it, like, you know, bluntly, it's, it's kind of like belligerence, a lot of us feel like fall into that and, you know, it's, it's getting in a situation of disagreement and doing basically the opposite of exhibiting humility, grace, or intolerance. It's saying, I'm right, you're wrong, end of discussion. Even if that is the case, 
right? And again, if we're looking at it from a, a Christian life perspective, it's basically the idea of, you know, seeking Christian dominance over society, but seeking it through cultural means, right? To put it in layman's terms, it's, it's using politics or using race or, or gender issues to unhealthily and without grace push Christian ideas. And then it can flip-flop and go the other way. Right? It's using some kind of Christian idea to push a political motive. Right? It's overwhelming belligerence in a situation without showing grace. So a lot of us sometimes fall into that. The second one the book talks about is purity from. And you might be able to infer a little bit about it by its name, but it's, it's simply isolation. Right? It's denial. It's withdrawal. Right, the purity from reaction basically isolates itself from the larger culture. You know, it's basically pulling back into your little shell, getting into your bubble, and acting like the world around you doesn't exist. And, and yeah, that may work for you. Right? That may be nice sometimes. Right? But you know what it fails to do? Because right? sometimes, you know, you pull back in, you don't have to deal with tough situations. You don't have to deal with tough people. But what this fails to do is to show those tough people love. To show those people that you are different and, and you are set apart. How as a Christian, you aren't normal. Right? You aren't conforming to the world. And ultimately, it could doom those people that you are ignoring. So obviously, that's not the right response, right? And then the last one it shows us is relevant to. Kind of a posture take is relevant to, and this is compromise. This is over-adaptation. It's conforming. Right? And this is a lot of us that don't like confrontation. I'm, I'm not a confrontational person whatsoever. But it's us naively failing to understand the difference in tension between the culture and the gospel. Right? To succeed in reaching people for Christ. We say it all the time here at Coastal. We'll do anything short of sin. Right? That means we are willing to get messy we are willing to, to meet people right where they are, to get into their lives and help. But we can't go as far as to conform the principle of our gospel to modern culture. Right? It's not a, a response or a posture that we can take. Right? We have to hold tight to the truths found in the word of God and through love show those to the people around us. And again, it's not going to be easy. It's going to be met with a lot of rejection and a lot of failure. But it's what we're called to do. It's what God calls us to do. And so we can see how we're not supposed to act, right? We can see how many times we fall into these natural reactions and they're obviously not the right ones. So let's take a look at what we should be doing. Right, let's take a look real quick at what a faithful presence, like a presence of unity in the modern culture may look like. The first thing we have to do is recognize our identity in Christ. Recognize our identity in Christ. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Right, you see, our identity is not found in, in our political party. Our identity is not found in the color of our skin. It's not found in our financial status or our job or lack thereof. Our identity is not found in the success that culture says we have or don't have. 
Our identity isn't found in anything besides Jesus Christ and the fact that he created us in his image and we are his children. Right? We are part of his royal family. And so what this book is doing, and honestly what Paul was doing a lot in his, in his letter, was basically warning us, right? Warning us to not over-identify with anything in culture that may pull away uh, or become the, you know, the primary identify, uh, identifier of us and our character, right? We want people, even people that we, you know, disagree with on a multitude of levels, we want them to look at us and, and not say, you know, he's a Republican, she's a Democrat, she's this, he's that. No, we want them to look at us and say, they're a Christian, right? They are a Jesus follower, and it shows by how they live their life every day. Which leads us into the second thing. The second thing that displays a faith in God and a unity today is when we display a posture of love and service. When we display a posture of love and service, serving others, loving others, sacrificing for others, by getting you know, into the messy part of people's lives and showing them God's love by the way that we treat them. Matthew 25, uh, 37 through 40 says, Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that what you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. That's pretty cool, right? What we do for the least of these, we do for God. So it's pouring into my, our communities. It's, it's serving the less fortunate. But here's the key to it. It's doing it without the natural dispositions that we talked about earlier. Right? It's doing it without a takeover mentality. It's doing it without thinking, you know, I'm going to give these people something so I can make them listen to me and then make them come to church and make them believe in Jesus Christ. But then it's also without the, the denial and, and isolation mentality. Right? We can't serve the least of these with fear of potential consequences stemming from us being a part of a sinful community. Does that make sense? Right? Like, like no matter what as Christians, we are going to be you know, met with uh, suspicion and skepticism. It's unfortunate, but you know, you know, we can go down to the pink house. We're down at the pink house all the time. You know, we can go there next week. We can do a tailgate. We can give away tons of food, clothes, school supplies, we can paint faces, we can do all of it. And there will be someone that, that says, you know, you need to not just feed them, but make them sit down and, and hear a sermon about how they're going to hell if they don't know Jesus. You know, and there will be another person that says, you know, you know, you're just giving, you know, you're wasting food or money or whatever it is on these people who are never going to come to church. There will be another person that says, you know, you're not doing enough, whatever it is. And that's just the world that we live in. But that's why we are called to be different and focus on who we are in Christ and then what we are called to do. So that's the second thing. The third thing that we can do to promote faith, you know, our, our faith in God and unity today is to focus on God's word. 
right? To recognize it, recognize the Bible as an infallible truth. Recognize the Bible as an infallible truth. You see what happens a lot in our culture is that the Bible, like the, the little breathed word of God is somehow reduced basically to just like another self-help book on a shelf at Barnes and Noble. If those places even exist, I don't even know anymore. I haven't, I guess there is one on Semerary, but don't see a lot of people in there. Bookstores in general, that's a tangent, okay. But <laughs> no matter what, you know, we forget that the words, the, the scriptures, the passages found in the Bible, they're not just stories from a long time ago or, or some cool metaphor on how we can live a better life or be better people. Right? The God-breathed truths that are found in the Bible are essential and foundational to our lives. 2 Peter 1, 20-21 says, But know this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. It doesn't get any clearer than that. It says no prophecy or scripture becomes a matter of someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Yet what happens today is the Bible is, is viewed as basically just like another take on the world. Right? Just another superficial opinion on how things ought to be done or how people should act, even by Christians, right? Like, I feel like I'm a pretty open-minded person about a lot of things. You know, I never, I never want to act like I know everything, but I do know the truths found in the Bible are in fact truths because of who spoke them into existence. And so that's the third way that we can promote faith and unity is recognizing God's word for what it is. And then the last thing we can do, the last thing we can do to display faith and unity in our modern culture is actually something we talked about, uh, I think it was our Easter series. Um, It's be a bridge builder. Be a bridge builder. Build relationships. Build relationships with people and, and not just people that agree with you, right? but people across divides, people with different perspectives and viewpoints. People that know Jesus and people that don't know him at all, right? Your neighbors that live next to you and your neighbors that live in the worst part of your community. And how do we do that? This is where it comes full circle again, through humility, patience, and tolerance, right? We build bridges. We build relationships through modeling these things in our everyday walk through life. It's all about the balance you know, between openness to criticism and love and respect towards others' opposing views. Right? Preaching the truth of the gospel with love and grace. Loving others as Jesus first loved us. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. It's a really simple idea, but still so true. Right? Love matters. Grace matters. Humility, patience, and tolerance, they matter. Right? We have to recognize that we live in a broken world. Right? We live in a, in a sinful world. And the only tool that we have to truly combat these, these things are the tools that we have from 
from the gospel, the tools that we have that come from our, you know, our salvation in Jesus Christ. And even these tools that we get through him and through the gospel, we have to understand that a lot of times they're, they're a little bit contextual and that God places us all in, in different life paths, all in different circumstances. He gives us all different gifts that are gonna na- or, you know, determine how we navigate our lives. Right, so we have to understand. We have to be loving. We have to be humble. We have to be patient and tolerant. We have to be bridge builders. We have to have a servant's heart. All of these things promote unity. And then back to our original passage in Ephesians 4, kind of summarizing it in verses 14 and 15. Paul says, as a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of people, by craftiness and deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul says, the Bible says, we have to be solid in our faith. We have to be solid in our Christian ideals, in our gospel principles. When he says that we are not to be tossed here and there by waves, you know, carried by every wind of doctrine or trickery of people, Right, he's saying even back then, like he's writing this back then, even back then and now, even more so, we can't fall prey to our culture. Right? We can't let our truth be morphed and, and shaped by the thoughts and ideas of this world. Right? And he knows just as well as he is literally sitting in prison that this is a tough proposition. Right? But he refers back to the head of it all. He refers back to Christ and we can do the same, right? When it gets tough, because it will in this day and age, you know, with, without a doubt, when it gets tough, we fall back on the never changing word of God and then our identity found in him, right? And that's the greatest gift of all, a gift that he offers every single person here today in person watching online. You know, whether you know him well or you're just hearing about him for the first time now. Right? He offers a born-again life full of hope and full of joy, something that we can't get anywhere else, especially in modern-day culture in our world. Right? Recognizing the sacrifice made on our behalf you know, by his son Jesus enables us to experience, again, a life not possible any other way. And so let's pray for that this morning. Would you pray with me? Father God, I just, I just thank you for this, um, this opportunity to be here. And God, you've placed every single one of us, you know, in this day and time, in this culture, in this specific geographical location with our own set of unique life circumstances, beliefs, opinions, interpretations. God, you placed all of us here in this exact spot with these exact things for a reason. And God, just help us to use them. Help us to use them in a way that that shows your love each and every day to every single person around us. God, help us to not fall prey to, you know, the natural sinful responses that we have as humans, but to fall back on your overriding love, the gospel and the message that comes from it. God, just help us to see all these people around us as people and not just, 
you know, political ideas or, or, or issues or, you know, whatever it is that this, this world tries to, you know, force in front of us. Help us to see them as people, as your children. Help us to see us as the same thing. To know no matter what happens, no matter what comes our way or what we're faced with, our identity is found in you and you alone. And because of that, we can endure, you know, we can survive with the hope that we have an eternal future with you in heaven. And God, maybe there's some people here this morning that, you know, haven't taken that step to accepting that faith and that unity as a part of the body of Christ. So they just pray this morning, God, that, you know, accept that you are the savior of their lives. And they can just say this morning, saying, God, I accept you. I accept the gift of your son on the cross and, and the sacrifice that was made for me, the, the blood that was poured out on my behalf to forgive my sins. And they can say, God, I want to be a unified part of the body of Christ. God, just help every single person here this morning to, to know these things, to understand them, and to live them out every single day. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, have a blessed day.